Okay, well, it's a great pleasure to host this month's podcast for the Editor's Choice. And this month, the paper comes from David Nicholl, consultant neurologist at the City Hospital in Birmingham. And he's come up with a real tour de force, clinical neurology, why this still matters in the 21st century. So hello, David. Hello, Matthew. Great to uh, join you today. Perhaps you can give us a bit of a background about how you came up with a review and what, what you're really trying to achieve. Well, the background is actually really to do with learning from error. Uh, and I actually think this is something which neurologists, we could do a lot more on in the sense that of all medical specialties, I guess we don't get sued much, really, <laughs> compared to you know, A&E consultants uh, and others. But we often get drawn into where mistakes happen. And I probably about once or twice a year, I uh, get called to a tabletop review where we look at where something's gone wrong. And I would honestly say over the last 10 years, every single time it happens, it, it always comes down to what was the neurological assessment and there's been some error in it. And that, that really put me through a process of thinking, well, actually, uh, everyone here are clever people. What can we learn from this? So actually, it, it was from that, and, and one particular case, and it was a young girl with really bad idiopathic intracranial hypertension uh, who nearly went blind, in fact, on Christmas Eve, and basically no one had assessed her vision in a week, and, you know, she you know, was very fortunate to save her vision, and then it really got me asking this question of asking people whether they, asking the patients if they could recall being examined, which kind of led on to the kind of clinical skills stuff, really. So the review starts off, obviously, with the uh, the fathers of neurology, Charcot and, and Gowers. But mentioning the visual examination, you provide some statistics, some alarming sort of thoughts about who actually gets examined and, and how they get examined. So perhaps you could expand a little on that. You know, I think the thing that makes me get up in the morning and enjoy neurology is, is uh, thinking through cases. And I think that's the true for most neurologists. Uh, I think a couple of people were very influential, and you know, uh, Jerome Posner's talk at the American Academy a couple of years ago just came up with that beautiful quote of, uh, "If you get the history right and you're getting to examine the feet and you still don't know what's going wrong, maybe try taking the history again." I, I think it just says it all. Those clinical skills are really, really important, and I, I think a lot of the time we assume things are being done, and actually they're not. I don't know the way in Australia, but a, a common phrase we see in the notes in the UK is neurology NAD, and that may actually mean not actually done. You know, just because someone says something may not necessarily be true. That may sound quite scandalous, but I would say to everyone listening to this, maybe you need to start asking the same questions in your own hospitals. Um, it's a very, very easy audit to do. And indeed, I, what I find really interesting, I think uh, the juniors I work with, I think they thought of us nuts when I suggested it. But when they started doing it, they really got a passion about it and thought, this is really important. So we've got them thinking about clinical skills. So you provide some uh, assessment of background, how much training people should do, but you put, bring in this sort of the Malcolm Gladwell quote from uh, Outliers about 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a good point because I think any study that's been done looking at medical students, um, they've you know said that neurology is the most difficult specialty. I think the key to the the answer to the problem in a sense is we need to look at undergraduate training. If undergraduates are consistently saying that neurology is the most difficult aspect, we actually need to be making a harder case uh, with our colleagues to say that there needs to be um, a greater emphasis on neurology training within the undergraduate curriculum. Um, but I think it also depends on the way one does that. Certainly in my own 
university, we have these um, kind of OSCE scenarios where you have an actor that gives a particular scenario. One of the ones that drives me nuts is an actor giving a history of carpal tunnel syndrome. Well, no one ever died of carpal tunnel syndrome. I think we could, you know, have much better scenarios, you know, history of you know, status or patient with myasthenia where, you know, if they get it wrong, the actor would come to harm. Uh, I think those are much more valid assessments. So I think a lot more work could be done at undergraduate level to focus on um, neurological assessment. I think it's an excellent point. And you also then go on to talk about the, the focused examination and really an experienced neurologist can, as you mentioned, do an examination perhaps in a few minutes. So how do you sort of tease out the important parts of an examination? Well, that's a really good point. And in fact, a paper that was very influential in writing this review was a um, study by Moore et al. in uh, neurology. A very nice study where basically they looked at the uh, U.S. Uh, medical curriculum for neurology and found there was something like 77 different items, you know, crazy number of items. I, I can't remember that number of items. And essentially uh, asked a bunch of neurologists, you know, if, if uh, you've got the history suggests there's not much wrong with the patient, what's the basic things you need to do to, to not mess up basically and they managed to get it down to you know 22 items and you know five of those are tendon reflexes and so you know this is not hard stuff and actually that's what we do you know a lot of people you see in art patients you know from the history there's not much wrong with them but you still examine them you do a, a fairly quick examination and actually I think this is something which we as a neurology community can do a lot about. I think one has to have sympathy for the poor medical students sitting in the kind of neurology grand rounds that here's the, you know, the weird esoteric case and they think, gosh, neurology is really difficult, I don't want to do this. So it kind of enforces their own neurophobia. We need to do more work on actually most of the time if you think about the history and you can do a, a quick neurology exam and you're safe. And I think we need to be teaching people to be safe. So you've touched again on another important point, and you've mentioned in your review the spectrum from neurophobia to neurophilia. Perhaps you can sort of give us a bit of uh, background to that and, and where people should be on the spectrum. In fact, an interesting comment I had in response to the paper was Yav uh, Ben Shlomo, epidemiologist in Bristol, contacted me to say there's actually neuromophobia, which is the fear of uh, statistics amongst medical students. I, I didn't realise that it, the field was expanding, but... Um, and some of this actually I think reflects back to my own neurophobia. I can remember when I was a medical student, I actually got almost got put off neurology by two people who are not colleagues of mine. <laughs> so Steve Sturman is one of the cleverest people I know, and Simon Nightingale I think is the cleverest person in the world, is a neurologist that designs mathematical puzzles in his spare time. So when you're met with people like that, you, it, it, I think one, as a teacher one needs to be aware uh, of uh, neurophobia. Uh, and in fact, the four things I say to medical students in clinic is if in the, your neurology attachment, I want you to learn the importance of history, examination, localizing a lesion, and coming up with a differential diagnosis. Because the only time I see people screw up is when they don't do one of those four things or they skip from one to the other. Uh, and I think if we keep repeating that uh, like a broken record, I genuinely feel will improve the quality of neurology training. So... What are the pointers for how neurophobia can be tackled? I think joy and passion matters a lot in the sense of actually being with teachers that um, show a passion for clinical neurology and that the physical signs, things matter basically. And actually teaching people, and I, I think this is very important that for at an undergraduate level, when they're doing neurology, they just don't think they're going to learn it all in the neurology block and then 
don't bother using it in other specialties. Uh, and I think that's really important in general medicine because we know that unlike um, other specialties like cardiology, you know, the patient presents with chest pain, it's pretty easy to tell that it's likely to be a cardiological problem. The symptoms are often fairly insidious. So you need to have uh, some degree of neurology skills in your general medical training. So that means you need to keep doing it enough, a bit like uh, the Michael Gladwell uh, analogy to get sufficiently experienced that when you you know when that reflex isn't right that you need to start thinking about the other things the query core compression when someone isn't walking right and things rather than going down the wrong wrong alley basically. So you've mentioned the you, you've outlined the the key areas of neurological history, clinical assessment, and investigations. And I suppose there's a tendency now with more and more technology to go straight into investigations. Where do you see the order of of this playing out, particularly in light of neurological examination? Uh, well, I think that's a good question, and I think it depends on the scenario. So let's take about a stroke scenario. So some a patient with acute stroke that's maybe a candidate for thrombolysis. I mean, really, you don't want to be messing around. You, you don't want to be spending a long time doing a very detailed uh, neurologic examination. That patient needs imaging very quickly. So it's having the clinical confidence and competence to realize uh, when to act fast and when to, to act slow, basically, or, or when maybe to recap and say, hold on, the exam, it just doesn't quite fit up, a little bit like the Jerome Posner story. Well, actually, I need to get a bit, I need to think about the history. The spin-offs from this, I think, would be fascinating. Is actually, and I'm thinking about the kind of Muratel study, which basically looked at a patient where the history suggests there wasn't much wrong with them. Are there ways that we could adapt this? So let's say the patient was suspected Parkinson's. Uh, what things do you need to look for on examination? Now, if you get a group of movement disorders experts, they'll come up with different ways of approaching the problem. Uh, none of them are right or wrong, but maybe that's one of the things we could work on as educationalists to, to try and get better consistency. Yeah, well, look, I think you've, you've really come up with a superb review, and I think you really do outline the importance of, of all of the features of, of being a clinician and a neurologist. And I think that's why it was very easy to choose this as the editor's choice. And you've kindly also agreed for your paper to be open access, so it's freely downloadable through the JNMP website. And I think it's a must-read for all students, but also for clinicians and teachers. So thanks very much. I really wanted to say a big thank you to the peer reviewers, actually. It was the most fun of any paper I've ever written. I don't know who these people were, but the intellectual ping-pong we had over about six months was immense amount of fun. Well, I can return the favour because they actually pointed out that they really enjoyed reviewing your manuscript. And, um, in fact, there's also an editorial that accompanies your paper written by Professor Michael Swash, and I think he outlines, again, the importance of clinical assessment. So thanks again. Thank you very much. Myself and also Jason Appleton, who wrote it, uh, big, big thank you. Great.